This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, April 28, 2009. I'm Caleb Brown. The new Food Safety Modernization Act under consideration has many people believing that Congress is attempting to regulate potluck dinners, throttle organic farms, and farmers' markets. But in the long-run game between Congress and regulators, a poorly written law is nothing new. They sometimes redound to the benefit of members of Congress who wrote it. And sometimes that's even when regulators do their best to solve an insoluble problem. So says Peter Van Doren, Cato Institute Senior Fellow and Editor of Regulation Magazine. It is overreach politically. I mean, interestingly, though, from a scientific perspective, um, we all can contaminate ourselves through our own mishandling of food. I mean, of the chicken, salmonella is really present in chicken. And so if, in a church chicken dinner, um, the, the likelihood of salmonella contamination is clearly not zero. And so from a you know, rationalist scientific perspective, um, the, the notion that corporations can poison you, but you can't poison yourself and your friends can't poison you is in fact not true. Everybody can cause harm. Uh, to everyone else in in a food contamination sense. So if we, from from a logical point of view, um, there's nothing inherently wrong with saying that mom and and grandma and the church social needs to be regulated. Um, if if that were the goal to make sure that um, no one ever gets sick from anyone's mishandling of food, but but that's not what politics. I mean. That's not really what this is about. This politics is always about finding evildoers, and then there's good people. And church socials, and mom, and apple pie, and local farmers markets are never, or at least, I don't think in my lifetime those people will be declared to be evildoers. And so, they will not be, um, even if the law is ambiguous and it looks like they could come under uh, regulation. I predict that they will. If a regulator tries to regulate them, there will be a political backlash, and then Congress will react by exempting them in some fashion. Um, and I actually can go through some historical examples in other policy areas to show how, how that probably will work if it occurs. In the realm of, for example, campaign finance law, you have government creating a law, an agency is charged with enforcing that law, and Congress only steps in when regulators are going to do something that would be uh, very embarrassing or somehow politically painful uh, to lawmakers who've actually passed the legislation. Correct. That, I mean, that's, that's just the, that's the story of regulators and, and Congress sort of interacting. Isn't it's it? a long-run game in which, uh, despite Cato's attempts to, to make the world different, Congress likes to delegate in a broad sense, there's a problem here, go fix it, right? That tends to be what most laws uh, do lately, last 30 or 40 years. The bureaucracy is then charged with dealing with the political minefields that develop um, in implementing the vague intent that Congress has, has given it. If they overstep, Congress then takes them to task and restricts their budget and has hearings and takes them to the woodshed. And it's in, it's interesting that anyone ever signs up to be a bureaucrat because they're they just always catch it from both sides. And 
um, Congress tells them to do impossible things, and they then proceed to try to do them. And then when it doesn't work out, Congress says, why are you doing this? And Congress tries to take credit for both setting up the big entity in the first place to solve the problem that the public at the time wants solved, and then when the solution actually is impossible or doesn't work, Congress blames the regulator for, in fact, trying to do what Congress sort of tried to tell it what to do. Where, where else does this happen? Um, the examples that are, I'm most familiar with lie in the uh, energy area, and what I want to talk about is the the biggest um, the biggest uncertainty in regulation is how the Supreme Court will step into things because the game I described is even though it doesn't pass Cato constitutional muster is a very well understood game between Congress and the regulators and the bureaucracy. Everyone involved knows that this is is what goes on. And then sometimes the Supreme Court comes in and actually reads the statute and says whether this word or that word can be interpreted in this or, or that way. And the understanding, wink, wink, that Congress and the regulators have suddenly is blown up by a Supreme Court that didn't get the memo. And I'll describe two famous ones. One is um, natural gas regulation. The Natural Gas Act of 1938 um, exempted the production and gathering process of natural gas from regulation. And you're thinking, well, what was what was that about? Remember, there are interstate pipelines, and then there's intrastate producers. And Congress only had the power to deal with interstate commerce, and so it said we don't regulate um, producers because there's thousands and thousands of producers, but then they interact with a few pipelines, and we can regulate the pipelines. Well, in 1950, uh, in 1954, the Supreme Court ruled that when the Congress exempted production and gathering, that only meant Congress exempted them from regulation of their physical behavior, but not their pricing behavior. So then the court ruled that the Federal Power Commission had to regulate the prices at the wellhead of, of, of over 6,000 independent natural gas producers. Well... The Congress immediately passed legislation to overturn this Supreme Court ruling, and it would have passed and it would have been signed by President Eisenhower, but one of the senators involved in 1956 uh, asserted that his positive vote for this legislation was the result of a bribe, and all you know what broke loose. And because of this political kerfuffle at the time, uh, Eisenhower had to veto the bill that in effect, better reflected of the political understanding of, of in the way the Supreme Court had not. But because of this exogenous political event involving bribery, um, the, the legislation was vetoed by Eisenhower, and it never came up again because then the consumer movement arose and said, we need to regulate natural gas prices. And so it took until 1978 and Jimmy Carter to sort of go back to the understanding that existed in the 50s about natural gas price regulation. So so a Supreme Court decision throws an exogenous shock and then messes everything up and then Congress tries to undo it, reflecting that what I said, which is you don't uh, um, charge the regulatory agency with an impossible task, which is regulating 6,000 independent producers and their prices. But nevertheless, it, there was a, a fly in the ointment because of this bribery scandal, and it took a very long time to, to in fact, undo this uh, uh, politically. So there's 
example number one of a, a Supreme Court decision that that uh, messed up a political understanding. Um, example number two is with the Clean Air Act, and it's the what we're all hearing about now, which is Saturday, the papers. Friday, the EPA came out with a ruling that CO2 uh, was a pollutant under the Clean Air Act amendments of 1970, and thus the EPA, um, under statute, has to regulate it. And if you go back to 1965 or 1970, no one talked about CO2 and global warming and CO2 as a pollutant. So there's no uh, reading of the historical record that would say that this Clean Air Act and the way it was organized was intended to deal with uh, this global public goods problem, um, CO2 pollution. And everyone knows this, but the Supreme Court read the language as saying, well, no, under these... The way it's written, CO2 is a pollutant. Well, we'll see how this um, process evolves. And uh, by the way, for those who are interested, the regulation, the journal I edited in, in the fall 2008 issue had a article describing the mess that the Supreme Court has got us all into because of this ruling in the case uh, Massachusetts versus the EPA. And I urge everyone to go read that. So so like the natural gas problem, we may be in the middle of a struggle that, that Congress steps into and takes back under its control. Or because it's so divided and the country's so divided and Congress maybe doesn't want to touch this with a 10-foot pole, they may let the EPA process grind away. And then for the next 30 years, we'll have lawsuits and lawyers and we'll see fussing of the of the rules that the EPA, you know, proposes, and then they won't, the court will block them because there's a injunction and on and on and on. And uh, um, if the Congress does not do something, I predict that's what will happen, is that the only winners in all this will be the lawyers. Um, the, um, what was the name of the bill? The Lieberman-Warner, the global warming bill last year, right, that the Senate took. It shows how divided the Congress is. And so, it may be very difficult to go beyond, you know, get rid of a filibuster and, 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 and for Congress to actually do something, in which case this separate EPA process will grind on. Before everyone gets pessimistic, let me talk about some cases where, uh, again, involving the environment and autos in which um, Congress passed a, a broad statute and then the DOT and or the EPA um, propose logically sound uh, regulations to try to deal with the problem that Congress threw at it, only to have the public uh, get angry over those proposals. And then the Congress in turn steps back in and says, yes, we t told you to solve this problem, but you can't do any of the logical things that would be required to solve it, i.e. we're going to, <clears throat> in effect, um, make believe that we're really doing something even though we're not. And th those involve the the again, the Clean Air Act. Um, when it first came out, the Clean Air Act amendments of, of 1970, what the EPA did is say, well, if we're going to reduce auto emissions, we have to reduce vehicle miles traveled. And one way to do that is to have parking surcharges on all parking in U.S. cities that are not in, in air quality compliance and to have mandatory reductions in all parking available in metropolitan areas that exceed ambient air quality standards. Well, as you might imagine, this threatens the use of the car, and the car is central to American political culture. And Congress passed uh, provisions in the appropriations bills uh, to, uh, to fund the EPA that said, basically, 
you yes we told you to solve uh, of auto pollution but you can't do anything that really directly interferes with people's ability to use their cars and to raise the price to park it um so you have to invent some other magic scheme to somehow do this and in the end what happened was the magic was the catalytic converter right which is an expensive capital item placed on a car whose cost is invisible uh, to motorists. It adds 1500 or more dollars to the price of a car. And you could conceive of parking surcharges and whatnot as being more cost-effective than that, but they're visible. And so if there's a choice between visible interference in something people like and an invisible but costlier mechanism to deal with this, we will choose the invisible costlier uh, mechanism every time. So regulating in the case of uh, a bill regarding food safety, regulating the activities of processors rather than farmers or retailers or individuals. Correct. Regulate the big, bad, evil middlemen, whoever they are. And uh, not only that, they're not, I mean, we, we don't like them and they're corporate and, and there are fewer of them, right? Again, in the natural gas, there were 6,000 independent producers. There's many fewer food processors, although there's I would imagine quite uh, probably they number in the thousands, but again, um, they're easy to regulate politically than either farmers or retailers or um, church socials of various kinds. Cato Institute Senior Fellow Peter Van Doren is editor of Regulation Magazine. You can read Regulation at Cato.org.